In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. The Episcopal Church's House of Bishops is meeting uh, these few days and over this weekend in Detroit. Um, In years that the General Convention is not meeting, which means uh, the General Convention meets every three years, so the in-between years, the bishops of our church get together usually in the spring and in the fall. This is obviously their fall meeting. And when they get together, they meet each other and get to know each other. They, they worship together. They study the Bible. They listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. And a part of the way they do that is they often invite people to speak to them about issues that concern the church. I was interested to see that on Friday, our House of Bishops heard from Senator John Danforth. Some of you remember him as being the three-term Republican senator from Missouri. In retirement, very briefly, Senator Danforth was ambassador to the United Nations. And since then, he has continued to speak and to write, especially about the nature of faith in the public square. As early as 2005, Danforth was calling out his own party on having seemed to have been taken over by the religious right. He's continued to speak out, and on Friday he called our House of Bishops to to really lead the Episcopal Church, in other words, us and many more like us, to lead the church in what should be a healing of our country especially given the current political culture. Danforth points out that political opponents are not enemies. (laughs) He encourages the bishops to help us all remember and articulate and work for that concept so often forgotten, the common good. In a book he wrote last year, Danforth argues for a theological disarmament. He points out that politics is not the battleground for universal truth. It's a process for negotiating compromises. How differently conversations would go if we kept in mind that politics was not the battleground for universal truth, but simply a process for negotiating compromise. Danforth suggests that politics matter less than the ideologues insist, and that to make a policy position non-negotiable is to turn it into an idol. Danforth always catches my eye because he's thoughtful and he's faithful, and even if I might disagree with where he lands on an issue or two, I admire the kind of complexity he brings to almost every issue he approaches. And I think I know the reason why he does this and why he's able to do this. It's because John Danforth is both a lawyer and an Episcopal priest. He worked at a Wall Street law firm in the belly of the beast before entering politics years ago. And he's rare, I think, in the way that he never compromises either his lawyerly mind or his Christian soul. He uses all he has and all he is 
to follow Christ and encourage others to follow Christ. Well, even though few of us might follow the vocational extremes of both the law and uh, the priesthood, we all move in circles that are sometimes religious and sometimes very worldly. Today's scriptures in many ways help us to navigate this place, this sticky, worldly, problematic place where we live. In our first reading, the prophet Amos thunders forth. Hear this, he says, you that trample on the needy, you who cheat the poor and push around the defenseless. God will turn your feasts into mourning and your songs into lamentation. Amos is not just criticizing formal or elaborate worship here. The point he's making is that with all the resources at Israel's disposal, with all the wealth in their temple and elsewhere, in their homes and in their hands, they are at the end of the day showing themselves to be a stingy, selfish people. Amos simply points out the hypocrisy in Israel's worship, in the ordering of their lives, in their culture. They've forgotten when they were poor, when they were needy. They've forgotten when they were outsiders, when they were greeted as aliens. They've forgotten when they were not the majority. But Amos says God never forgets. God will bring justice. God holds God's people accountable. If the Old Testament reading in some ways reminds us about what we should be doing as people of faith, the gospel suggests something of the means of our doing, of our living out the gospel, our working with God to bring about God's kingdom. And often it may involve some strange relationships. And this is the world where people like John Danforth and others, I think, can help us to navigate can help us live faithfully in those places where sometimes being faithful to God means getting smart, getting shrewd, being resourceful in the here and now. In today's gospel, we hear about a rich man who has a dishonest manager, and this manager is not only underperforming, but he seems to be either skimming off the top or manipulating the funds in some other way. The accounts don't add up, and the rich man gives the manager notice. What does the manager do? He prepares. He knows his days are numbered, so he makes his plans carefully. His plans involve building up a kind of credit with others. Before he leaves, the manager goes around to all of those who owe the rich man, and he cuts the losses. He lowers each person's total. He collects what he can, and he prepares for the future. He's a pragmatist, and his quick thinking seems to get him back in the favor of his boss. This is a parable, and whenever Jesus tells a parable, it's not meant to be followed literally. We're not meant to, uh, to see particular characters in a parable and immediately identify them as being certain people, nor are we meant to identify particularly with one person. The beauty of a parable is it sort of rotates around, and the meanings rotate. And one year when I read this, I may identify with one character, but the next year I might identify 
identify with another character. Jesus knows that, and he offers this story in that way. He's not encouraging us to be cheats. He's not encouraging us to, at the very last minute before we get caught, do what we can to preserve good contacts for the future. That's not the point at all. Jesus is not suggesting that the kingdom of God is achieved by dishonesty or duplicity. But there is the suggestion that the kingdom of God benefits from a shrewd mind and a willingness to make use of all of the resources at one's disposal. In other words, the Christian faith is not helped by feeble-mindedness or by a kind of pious naivete. Rather, in Jesus' words, the children of light can learn a few things from the children of this age. In Jesus' age and in our age, That's to say that those who seek to follow Jesus can learn from, or perhaps especially from, those who are secular and those who are not religious. This idea is echoed in Matthew when Jesus sends out his disciples and says very clearly to them to be as sheep in the midst of wolves, to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Today's reading suggests that we have a role to play in the ongoing life of God and the unfolding of God's kingdom. It matters what we do with what we have, whether we have just a tiny bit or a whole lot. Whatever we have can be used for God's good will. Whatever we have in terms of our energy, our minds, our faith, our compassion, our talent, and yes, our money too, All of this has a role to play in being a part of God's unfolding kingdom. Using what we have for God is central to today's scriptures. It's what Jesus is saying to his disciples, that even though the manager in the story is less than honest, perhaps he's even a little shady and maybe a little underhanded, The manager, nevertheless, does everything he can to prepare for the future. He uses all of his resources in the most creative way he can. And it's that creativity and that resourcefulness that Jesus is pointing us to. Very soon, this church and many others will be talking about using what we have for God's glory in very tangible ways as the church enters what it calls stewardship season. It has to do with that idea of our being called and claimed as God's stewards of all that is around us and all that we possess. And so pledge forms will be mailed to folks and be in the back of the church for newcomers and for folks who may even call another church home. You can still pledge to more than one congregation. But a pledge form is not only for you to sort of say what sort of money you might be able to give to Holy Trinity in the coming year. That's incredibly helpful so that the vestry can begin to develop a budget based on that. But as much so, if not even more so, it's also a place for us to think about and pray about our time, our energy, our prayer. Where can we put all of that for the greater glory of God, especially at Holy Trinity? Various ministries and opportunities are listed on the pledge form. And so I'll encourage you in the days to come to pray about those things. Don't underestimate what you have. 
the skills you have, the knowledge you have, the friends you have, the neighbors you have, the joy you have, the capacity to pray you have, the money you have, all that we have is invited to give back to God and enjoy the joy that God gives us in return. Who knows what it might look like? Maybe you can volunteer with Holy Trinity Neighborhood Center, HTNC. Maybe you feel called to help with the Tuesday lunch or the Saturday dinner or the weeknight homeless shelter. Or maybe you can volunteer with Trinity Cares, our our newer network of people who can help with odds and ends, who can help you get to a doctor's appointment or, or meet you when you need someone to help you get home or do all sorts of small things. Or maybe you don't have time, but you do have some extra money that you can not only support the museums and the music in our community and city, but also help underwrite the programs here that encourage people to know the love of God through the beauty of holiness. There'll be time in the days to come to prayerfully consider on all of this and to honestly ask, what is God inviting you to do? What is God inviting me to do? In this new year, the prayer that we began our worship together with, the collect of the day, prays that even as we are surrounded by earthly things, that we would not be anxious about them, but hold on to what lasts, what endures, what helps others, what furthers the community and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we learn to use all that we have and all that we are for God. And may we never be afraid to be crafty for the kingdom of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.